On this week's episode of the Wanderings and Wool Gathering podcast, we talk at length about our favorite guitarists and the new muses here. We dig deep into simulation theory. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 11. Yep, 11. Which has been and will be waiting. Defending his light and wondering, where the hell have I been? Sleeping, lost and numb. Yes, episode 11. I'm so glad that I found you. I, Foggy, with T-Bags and JPP, are wide awake and heading home, ready to bring you the goodness that is episode 11. We are ready to glow, child. Glow. Let's do this. I'm Foggy, and with me, as always, are T-Bags and JPP. Good evening, fellas. Good evening. I am slow clapping your introduction. That's right. I'm going to stand up and slow. Well, I better not. I might make a lot of noise, but yes, epic. Yes. And uh, for those, it's a Sunday night, so it is the 11th of November that we're recording this. So um, interesting full circle here uh, in the big picture, I should say. And uh, obviously tool lyrics that were tweaked by Stevie D. So love it. Got to love it. Yes, indeed. Yes, 11 is special. And we would be remiss if we didn't uh, honor all of our veterans and... uh, People who are currently serving in the military right now, thank you for your service. Thank you. As we record this on the 11th. So, uh, how was everybody's weekend? Good. Good and busy, listening to some music and getting down a rabbit hole of uh, visuals to supplement that music. We'll get into that in a little bit. Same here. Actually, just uh, it was a good weekend and dug into some of my own personal creative things and um, seemed like the weekend went pretty well, so nothing to complain about. What about you, Steve? Yeah, uh, good weekend. I don't know if anybody watched the uh, free UFC fight card last night, but um, for free fights, amazing card, one of the best cards we've had all year. And the uh, the, the last fight of the night, I don't know if you guys saw the replay, five-rounder, the guy, uh, Yair Rodriguez, knocked out the Korean zombie with one second left, bent over with an upward elbow, knocked nice. him out cold. It was amazing. Yeah, it was got to be the finish of the year. Uh, just an amazing, amazing night of fights. So it's been good. Yeah, and the Colts won today. Saints won. Saints won. All is looking good. And IU soccer won the Big Ten again, and uh, we'll be marching towards the national championship for like the eighth or ninth time. How about that? Well, nice. <laughs> I just marathoned a couple of Garfield episodes with my daughter, so I can feel completely disconnected <laughs> from what y'all been up to. <laughs> Believe me, it comes back eventually. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough uh, wool gathering for this evening. Let's get back to some music. Paul, you had the challenge last week. You want to remind everybody what it was? Yeah, totally. So this week we are listing our top five guitarists without a ton of explanation. So it's just kind of a short and sweet. You can say why you liked them, but you don't have to go into uh, you know an encyclopedia of uh, information for it. Um, so, yeah. Who wants to kick this one off? Uh, I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, Paul, you always, the, you're, as the challenger, you will uh, go last. So uh, we'll do this round by round. We'll start off with round one. And uh, I went deep cuts. Um, I went to a gentleman that I first listened to back in the early to mid-90s. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, but it's uh, Robert Johnson. Um, I purchased the complete recordings uh, CD with every song that he had recorded. Um, I don't know, people out there don't know who he is, but uh, Blues Aficionado recorded in, uh, I think, 36 is when all of his recordings took place. 
But um, he inspired a lot of people who came afterwards, like Keith Richards and Jimi Hendrix, Bob Dylan, Eric Clapton, um, Muddy Waters. And uh, he, he his guitar work was amazing for the time. It has, it has stood the test of time. And like I said, it's influenced so many different people. And if you go back, check out the songs, uh, Crossroads Blues, 3020 Blues, Terraplane Blues, lots of blues, and uh, Sweet Home Chicago. Just brilliant work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really is amazing. And of course, everybody knows the Crossroads story, selling your soul to the devil and all that kind of stuff. So there's got the yeah. mystique with the guitar. So... Uh, that's why I chose Robert Johnson as my number one deep cuts guitarist. Nice. The epitome of rock and roll. Yeah. Yes, sir. So when you say number one, is that actually number five and we're working towards our favorite? I The reason I chose that as my number one is just the oldest, and it's everybody followed suit following that. Is it my favorite guitarist of all time? No. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> so trying I just to keep set some pace here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. go and with I, it as your number five. Actually, he was... Uh, he was he was an honorable mention anyway, because it's just so bluesy and kind of New Orleansy feel for me. Um, and, you know, you said Crossroads, so we'd be remiss to not mention Ralph Macchio playing a totally <laughs> Crossroads. With Steve Vai as a cameo, another guitarist. <laughs> yes, that's all right. Um, my uh, number five, and these weren't favorite guitarists, but I just, I, I, I paired it down to five, and then I ranked them, you know, five to one on that mm-hmm. uh, with some honorable mentions, but I'll start with number five. Um, Jimmy Page, I feel like he uh, got his due, um, kind of helped usher in a sound that was kind of their own and um, made me go and watch some of his live stuff. So I'm big on that. If you can do something outside of the studio and uh, yeah, just amazing. I mean, I've always loved listening to him anyway, but um, to see since we I wasn't around to you know watch them tour to go back and, and for this challenge, go watch some of that live stuff. It was amazing. So. Jimmy Page comes in at number five for me. Very cool. And you know what's interesting is um, I've listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin through the years. And one thing that always comes to mind is when I heard them, of course, they were already established and, you know, almost they were pretty much gone by the time mm-hmm. my ears caught them. So I always was fascinated with the idea of them and Jimi Hendrix, who didn't make my list, but he's definitely up there, um, mm-hmm. you know, to be around in the time when the sound was more clean and those, you know, sound, the, the artists and bands of, of that era come out and start blasting the airwaves. That would have been really interesting to, to kind of see that reaction in person. Yes. I agree. Yeah. I, I did choose Jimmy Page as well as one of my top five. So okay. I guess I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll bring him up in round two. I'm sure we're going to have some overlap, so that's all good. Most certainly. Very cool. So I guess it's my turn, huh? That's right. Uh-huh. Roll the dice. Here we go. Uh, Rush song title, right? Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Let's roll the bones. Oh, let's roll the bones. Yes, yes. Sorry. It's, Take a drink. Yes. <laughs> um, so this is not really in a particular order, but I'll go in reverse order just from uh, in terms of impact. But uh, I'll go with number five as uh, Charlie Hunter. I don't know if either of you have heard him before or not, but um, very interesting guitar player. He is one of many who took lessons from Joe Satriani, who is a shredder. Um, He's had influence on Steve Vai, Kirk Hammett from Metallica, countless others. And Charlie was an interesting pick for me. I've had the pleasure of seeing him live twice. And here's the beautiful part. He does like a jazz funk 
thing and usually has a trio or a quartet, um, maybe a couple more if they have a horn section or something like that. But he plays an eight-string guitar, and uh, he may have switched brands. It used to be a Novak uh, when I saw him live. The top three strings, the lowest ones, where they're you know, up to the, the very top, if you will, like for, for the farthest reach for the fingers – three bass guitar strings and the bottom five are five guitar strings so he's playing the bass line and the guitar at the same time and uh you know in in typical jazz um arrangements guitar players will do what they call comping where they're kind of doing the walking bass line while they're playing the chords and he has the split pickups and a couple of amps and all that stuff so it sounds like two guys playing at the same time but it's all him that's awesome very nice. Definitely, uh, you know, worth checking out. So if you just look up Charlie Hunter, you pick any of them, you can't go wrong. He actually did uh, a little guest spot on Les Claypool's solo album too, and um, he just, I think he just played guitar. I don't think he did the eight string bit because, of course, Les has taken over the low frequency on that. But uh, you know, he's he's a very diverse musician and worth checking out. Yeah, you'll have to um, yeah. in the show notes put something in there. I mean. I'll check them out, but I'd be interested to see what you'd want me to check out. So Absolutely. Yeah, and I think we should do that, too, is put you know a, a particular song from these guitarists that really stands out to you. Agreed. Yes. All right, so we up to round two? That's right. Yes. Very nice. Okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead. Jimmy Page was on my list, but he wasn't going to be my next one, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there since uh, T-Bags already did that. Um, and <laughs> my notes were very simple, and it's just best riffs ever uh-huh. cashmere black dog whole lot of love heartbreaker dazed and confused good times <laughs> bad times over the hills and far away i mean every song just had a hook it was just yep. I, I don't know best riffs ever that's about the only way you can put it um just amazing stand the test of time will live on forever and ever and i didn't even mention stairway to heaven yeah. until that and <laughs> and we are uh you know we're listening to it as the final recorded version and that's how we know them. And as Paul knows, being a musician, the guy had to like come up with them too. This wasn't just, it's not that he can just play something. He like thought them up and made them. So, uh, yeah, to have that many in that list. Holy cow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and you know, houses of holy had some really good songs on there too. Some crazy textures. And of course for that time frame, it was completely innovative and, you hear bands today, and um, what is it that Greta? I'm sorry, I'm going to sound like an old man here. Greta Van Fleet. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah, uh, buzz about them sounding like Led Zeppelin. I mean, come on, every mm-hmm. everything in, through the past few decades have had a touch of Led Zeppelin in it somewhere. Exactly. You know what I find interesting, especially being in school and being around kids and everything, is that you know before our generation, people loved Jimmy Page, right? They loved Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. My generation loved Zeppelin. My son's generation loves Zeppelin. Yeah. It's everybody when they hear it, they just hook into it. I mean, it's yep. it's very unique in that way that every group just kind of falls in love with them. So I kind of need something for that for sure. Absolutely. Well, that's a great segue into my number four, which is David Gilmore. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, was, I mean, he was almost on mine. <laughs> speaking of timeless, I mean. Yep. And it's funny because, you know, I've I've been a huge Pink Floyd fan since, like, the moment I heard them. And I even kind of got on that, like, bandwagon after all the... They'd already split and done their thing. But I couldn't believe that David Gilmore got the name Pink Floyd and Roger Waters ended up touring under his own name. And, you know, so... But after all of uh, those 
uh, pointless arguments, you know, from fans goes about. Mm-hmm. You start to think about, man, how their sound changed when David Gilmore came into the mix. And, and on top of that, he could sing. And um, what a creative soul. And I think that was the, the crux of it. It was just two really big creative souls, you know, button heads. But um, Pink Floyd would be nowhere near where they are now if it wasn't for David Gilmore. And that guy can can play and sing. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is the fact that you, you mentioned him and he's one of those guys that he definitely sticks out for me, but I, I tend to take it for granted. And um, one of my tests for a good delay pedal is to kind of run through some Gilmore-esque riffs to see how <laughs> it uh, bounces off of it, like Run Like Hell and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I definitely, he deserves a bigger nod than than I tend to mention in, in my uh, musical list for sure. Right on. Yeah, he was definitely on my honorable mention. He was close. Very cool. I guess it's my turn again. Yeah. Number four, Pat Metheny. He is a prominent jazz player, but he's very experimental too. He has done uh, several albums through the years that um, have some conventional jazz to them. He also was one of the first guys that turned me on to the little MIDI pickup that you can put on a guitar and play synth lines and solo and sound like you're a synthesizer. Um, you know, I gravitated to that immediately. He um, has wonderful chord voicings. He has really interesting songs. Um, there's an album out from the mid-90s. I want to say it's called Imaginary Day that uh, has some drum and bass type rhythms in it with his jazz stylings too. And uh, very textural, very um, you know, all over the place for for him. And that's one thing I really respected about him is that he didn't stay in one mold. He always branched out and tried new things. Every album I've picked up from him, I've fallen in love with. There's one called One Quiet Night, and I had it in my car in college. I had to take it out because it's just him with a tune. It's a baritone acoustic guitar, so it's tuned lower, and he's just doing this solo acoustic kind of jazzy, real mellow uh, music, and I was driving back and forth to college from the hometown, and it was like, if I listen to it any longer, I'm going to fall asleep, so that immediately (laughs) went into my playlist at home when I wanted to chill and really just um, absorb his music, so um, I definitely suggest him if you've never heard any of his stuff before um you know some of the songs are just absolutely beautiful some of them are experimental and crazy fun stuff for sure he had one um album i should mention real quick i think it was called zero tolerance for silence and it's just multiple tracks of him playing atonal it almost sounds like angry bees and wasps in a fight <laughs> and uh what's great was when i was working in the record store and it was 8:59, and guys were coming in wanting to browse for half an hour i'd pop that in for a little bit and after about 10 minutes guys were like Okay, this is getting comfortable. I gotta go. Nicely done. <laughs> I have two. I have two things to say to that. One, um, I don't even know who that is, so I'm glad that we're doing this challenge because I always get something out of it. Um, and two, for the people maybe just finding our podcast, um, you know, the drinking games are that if Steve mentions Rush, you know, you drink. If I mention Nine Inch Nails, you drink. And if Paul gets technical, you drink. So I think someone's gonna be real drunk by the end of this show. That's right. Given yeah, given Paul and talking about five guitars. So yeah. All right, Stevie well, D, you're up. Nice. All right. I'm gonna go um this is where we kind of veer off the path because I'm not going for a technical genius when it comes to guitaring. I simply went uh with somebody who has made an impact um, was inspired by Robert Johnson and maybe the one of the coolest guys on the planet and shouldn't be alive today, and that is Keith Richards. Oh, man. <laughs> um, 
That's, as far as guitar good. playing goes, he he probably isn't this amazing, you know, unique, genuine talent for for playing the guitar. Um, but he, I, I think he really uh, has like a funky style to him. Uh, he's got a bluesy kind of uh, effect on the on the guitar, and he's created a lot of um, not not the riffs necessarily that Jimmy Page has come up with, but. Um, Definitely some commercially popular guitar riffs and uh-huh. parts that we still know today, uh, like Gimme Shelter and Honky Tonk Woman, uh, Street Fighting Man, uh, mm-hmm. It's Only Rock and Roll. Um, those songs will stand the test of time, and I, that's all, I think, in part to Keith Richards. And uh, also, he's just a really cool rhythm guitarist when he's on stage. Yeah. There's just a presence about him. Um, so I really hesitated to put him on the list because... When you compare him to some of the other guys, he doesn't have that technical skill, but there's just something special about him as a guitarist. Uh, I'm going to give him a nod because, um, as I understand it, he didn't use conventional tuning either. He didn't keep the guitar in in the normal form for standard positions. So a lot of the riffs have a different feel because of that, because the the way he could employ his fingers on the fretboard um, really allowed for some things that when you're playing in a standard tuning might not be able to pull off effectively. Um, so that said, he um, certainly had a lot of soul and a lot of vibe that, um, you know, many players couldn't capture. And besides, even though he didn't like to play the conventional tuning, he still owned it 100% and, and rolled with it. And, you know, he's doing a lot more in music than I ever did. So, uh, you know, that says something right there. He's also doing more than I've ever did, Paul. Uh, no, that, that's a good point. Um, I don't have a lot to say to that. Just a, a nod to you. I agree with all that you guys are saying. Um, it's hard to deny him, but he did not make my list, but that does not mean I don't agree. So anything else on him? No, I, I mean, that's that's just it. I just love him. You know, okay. it's just sometimes you just love somebody and you don't know why, or it just yeah. you get the feel. He has a real feel for music that I like. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know if it's a nod to anything, but I can't even type when I'm tired and he can play a song on like horse tranquilizers and vodka so <laughs> and live to tell about it <laughs> exactly. and, uh, and none of his blood is actually his own so that's that's, <laughs> that's impressive <true>. too <laughs> who knows what blood type he is i think bill um, hicks had a joke about him he said that uh there was ever a nuclear fallout two things would survive cockroaches and and uh, keith richards <laughs> and he would say something along the lines of what was it uh there was a where'd everybody go? There was a bright light. I thought we were on. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. I'm glad I'm glad I picked him now. <laughs> Just for that. Um all right, so I'm gonna move on to my number three, uh, which is Prince. Because, oh yeah. Yeah. I it took me a while to get into him as a guitarist. I mean, he was always obviously creating pop songs that were and in that in the only way that Prince could in that weird way, you know, reinventing himself. But as, uh, you know, more media came about at our fingertips and you could look him up and just go down those rabbit holes. Like if you ever just saw that guy play live and, or do something specifically that was guitar related, you know, um, he could, the instrument just seemed like it belonged in his hands and he could make it do whatever he wanted. And, um, it seemed really, really effortless. And, you know, you can't deny some of the things he did do in, in some of his songs either. I mean, the Purple mm-hmm. Rain, uh, Let's Go Crazy, oh, those kinds of things. For real. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, and, and then knowing Prince, 
throughout all of the years. I mean, not knowing him, but knowing all friends throughout <laughs> all the years. I never was playing basketball with him. But um, <laughs> we're making pancakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but he he seemed like he could play any instrument too, from what from what the news reports are. You know, so mm-hmm. no surprise that he could just pick up a guitar and go. Yeah, and I want to get technical on that too. There's a a book that I have got it in college it's called behind the glass um the author escapes me sorry folks i i spend or i spit out things and i don't tell you uh, you know who the author is but i'm sure if you google it you'll you'll find it uh, <laughs> i'll put it in the show notes once i i dig it up but sylvia massey i think it was uh talked about her experience with prince and he hopped into the studio she was an intern at the time and uh, he busted out some keyboards he played the bass with one hand like bass guitar parts with the keyboard and then played you know the chords and the arrangement and he's like okay that's the verse laid down the chorus and a bridge and he's like all right so those are the parts go ahead and um, splice those together into an arrangement and i'll be back in a little bit and so she mm-hmm. kind of did a, a typical pop formula with it and he came back in laid down some parts did his vocals he was done so uh to answer your question yeah that's uh that's how he rolled he could just it was second nature no matter what instrument essentially that's amazing yeah i don't want to i don't want to one up you but uh i'm pretty sure threaten can play about any instrument and do the same thing <laughs> it's okay. he does he does struggle to fill the arena but uh, as far as instruments go he is spot on from what i saw in the, i don't know if you guys watched the video but he kind of struggles to sync his uh performance on video with the audio too oh really oh yeah that may be one of the best stories i've ever heard oh man <laughs> it's so amazing yeah. uh one more thing about prince too is he, he's inspired a lot of people obviously but um, I remember reading in the liner notes of Pre Hate Machine, and and Trent thanked Prince, and it just seems like how far that reaches, you know, that who he's influencing is not just the next, you know, supposed Prince or the next pop person, but like seeing that stuff bleed into a lot of different genres, mm-hmm. um, says something to too, in my opinion. But awesome! I don't want to keep talking Absolutely. about him. I do, but I won't. Go ahead. So uh, my turn. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, you're seeing a pattern here with uh, the jazz and and um, kind of avant-garde guitar players. But my next on my list is John Schofield, and he, much like Pat Metheny, is very experimental. Has uh, really great phrasing. What that means basically is when he does a solo, it's like a statement, uh, almost like a sentence, asking questions. Mm-hmm putting a punctuation at the end, things like that. He likes to slur the ends of his notes, so they kind of sound drunken, for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, They just kind of slide off a little bit. and um, It's very intentional, and he does a good job of, of, uh, when he does his melodies, he'll throw in a couple extra uh, notes on, on top of it that kind of ring dissonant, meaning they kind of clash, but they really uh, advance the statement in his phrasing, if you will. He always has a good band with him, some cool like funk drummers and stuff like that. He, uh, I saw him live at the Jazz Kitchen, uh, I want to say 2001, and it was a fantastic show. It was a three-piece, and um, after that, he actually played with a band called Modesky, Martin, and Wood. So it was like Schofield, mm-hmm. Modesky, Martin, and Wood. Have you heard them before? 
Um, I have not. Yeah, they're very cool. It's a three-piece. It's organ, bass, and uh, drums, and lots of really cool grooves and um, just mm-hmm. kind of funky and kind of all over the place, almost like when the Beastie Boys do the instrumental stuff. You know, it's got that kind of flavor to it. So putting yeah. Schofield and on top musicians. of it. Yeah, oh, yeah, fantastic. I saw, th- saw them at Indie Jazz Fest right before Al Green. So that was a great night nice. and another story for another day. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, he, he makes the list just because of the fact that he likes to experiment as well. He did an album. Um, it's called, what was that called? Let me see. It was like 2001 or so. Uh, I want to say it was like Uber Jam. And he had uh, a guy named Avi Bortnik also playing guitar with him. They had laptops out and doing some samples and grooves with, you know, rest of the instrumentation. So, you know, he's not afraid to try things and, and be bold with his musicianship. Cool. You have to post something in the show notes because that's another one I'm not super familiar with, but will do. You're, you're selling me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I like these uh, like jazz inspired things you're doing, uh, which is interesting too because a lot of like metal guys were jazz people to begin with, like uh, Paige Hamilton or mm-hmm. um, even Jimmy Chamberlain was uh, you know jazz drummer, which yeah. Uh, yeah, which is interesting. It's really cool. And Alex Skolnick from Testament, a thrash metal mm-hmm. band established in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s, actually left Testament mm-hmm. for some time to pursue jazz studies and has a trio that he does as well as Testament these days. So um, it's very cool because once you get into an instrument, you definitely find yourself wanting to learn more and wanting to expand on, on your wheelhouse, if you will. Um, I did it too when I was in a metal band. I wanted to try new things, so I got into reggae and ska and then jazz and then classic and that kind of thing. So you definitely want to try to master the fretboard as much as you can if you're really passionate and want to pursue it. Right. Excellent. All right. So that brings us to our fourth picks, Mm -hmm. correct? Yep. Which is Uh really interesting. We've had eight different guitarists out of our first nine, which I think is really cool (laughs) that we're all over the board, which is awesome. So my next pick, which is might be my favorite guitarist of all time, is Stevie Ray Vaughan. Nice, nice um, choice. Uh-huh. I'm sure that people could easily say, um, why didn't you pick Jimi Hendrix? Because obviously Stevie Ray is kind of a disciple um, mm-hmm. of Hendrix. But for me, I grew up with Stevie Ray. I was, uh, it, you know, in the 80s, I was in high school. Um, I was able to see him live a couple of times. Um, mm-hmm. And th- I think this is the best way to put it. This is what was said about him. Uh, by John Mayer in his induction into the Hall of Fame. And I think this is like spot on. It says, there's an intensity about Stevie's guitar playing that only he could achieve still to this day. He seamlessly melded the supernatural vibe of Jimi Hendrix, the intensity of Albert King, the best of British, Texas, and Chicago blues, and the class and sharpshooter precision of his older brother, Jimmy. Stevie is the ultimate guitar hero. I couldn't agree more. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he could, he he could shred it. He could do speed work like he does on scuttle button. And then, um, the song that I'm going to post for people, um, to check out in the show notes is Tin Pan Alley. Yeah. So clean. It's just an amazing song in concert. It's just, it's glorious. I mean, it is amazing guitar work, super clean, lots of blues, lots of soul. And, um, 
Stevie, I'm so glad I saw him before he died. He passed away when we were in college, and I remember getting the news, and everybody on our floor was just devastated, you know, mm-hmm. when this helicopter went down. Same so. here. Yeah. Yeah, I was in high school. <laughs> Absolutely. So My mom actually told me. That's my number two. <laughs> Sorry. My mom oh, told really? me. Yeah, yeah. She t- she uh, <clears throat> was watching the news, and I was in the other room, and, and uh, I was legitimately bummed. Stevie, <laughs> you want to know where I got my first taste of Stevie Ray Vaughan? Yes. Back to the Beach. What uh, was it? What it was, was a it? movie called Back to the Beach. It had uh, Frankie mm-hmm. Valli and Annette, Annette Funicello mm-hmm. in it. And mm-hmm. uh, there was a house band that they would cut to, and Stevie Ray Vaughan was in the house band with Dick Dale. And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a you know, crazy movie. I was a kid, and I'm watching this. And this is when I first started getting fascinated with music. I was playing the Commodore 64, loving synthesizers, and getting you know turned to Stevie and, and uh, Dick Dale, as well as Fishbone. They have a nice little cameo mm-hmm. and do a musical number oh, yeah. in, that, in that movie, too. And now I'm going to have to find it and watch it and see if it holds up. But you know, the musicians, <laughs> hands down, sold it for me. But uh, yeah, I absolutely fell in love with his playing. And and as I understand it, he used really heavy gauge strings and did those bends and those blues wails and whatnot. That's where his tone is so thick and huge. And, uh, you know, his the soul of his playing, like you're saying, you're spot on, man. He, he definitely... Uh, really encapsulated all of the different styles you mentioned, Jimmy and, and Albert King and, and whatnot in the British era. Uh, I remember learning Pride and Joy with my guitar instructor, mm-hmm. and just yeah. it was when I first started to learn how to play, and, I mean, my fingers couldn't keep up with it. And it's been a long time, and I could certainly, you know, try it and probably get it eventually. But, I mean, there's there's no getting Stevie's tone. His hands were his own, and, and that's what created his sound. Yeah. Good point. And my, my first encounter with him, and it, he's so worth mentioning because he's a guitar legend, but uh, Mike Milligan here mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Kokomo, you know, blues player, Mike Milligan, Steam Shovel. People should check him out. He does some really good stuff. Yes. Um, but Mike and I have been friends since I don't even know when. I mean, baseball and maybe even T-ball mm-hmm. but and gone to school together. But we were at Ball State together, and I was in my big kind of grungy heavy metal phase and all of that stuff. And you know, that's when, but that's when I was really starting to open up to like, okay, let's listen to a lot of different things. And, uh, Mike had showed me some Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff and it was the first time that I was blown away by a guitarist. I think really, honestly, Mm -hmm. I had probably liked solos and liked songs for a guitar part that had them, but for actual, the actual guitars themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, yeah, from then on, I've, uh, especially Mike always reminds me of Stevie and, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's something that I've checked out ever since then. I'm glad I opened up my mind. Yeah, definitely. And shout out to Mike, man. He's a great dude. I remember yeah. when I first met him, I was playing in my metal band and whatnot, and he actually got a hold of my number, I think, through one of my bandmates and gave me a call and was like, hey, I'm selling some stuff. Are you interested? And and uh, at, at the time, I was like, man, this guy's like a legend to me. What's, what's he doing calling me? But, uh, <laughs> I mean, that just speaks to how humble and what a good guy he is. And uh, I saw he finally sold the the flame van that uh, he would yeah. tour with for years, and that, that made me a little sad. But I remember my wife and I were driving through the hometown of Kokomo, heading down to Indianapolis, and I passed the van, and I looked over to my left and and uh, gave a wave, and him and his brother both gave me a you know what's up as we drove by. My wife's like, "Who's that?" And I'm like, yeah. two people that are worth knowing." That's right. Yeah, Mike <laughs> and Sean. Yep. And then Tiny yeah. Tiny plays drums for him. So shout yep. out to them. We'll put let's put some links to them in the show notes too. And Absolutely. We'll Nothing but love for those guys. Right on. All right, Tony, you're up. I mean, tea bags. We're <laughs> using code names. Oh, am I? Is it me? Yep. Okay. This is number two? Four. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, well, yes, yeah. in reverse order, Sorry. number two. Yeah. You're correct. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um 
Man, I really wanted this to be number one, but uh, <laughs> Adam Jones for Tool. Nice. Um, I and this is a personal preference thing. I mean, I I do think he's fantastic at the guitar, and yes. I think the same things that you're saying about or that we're that we're saying about David Gilmore and Jimmy Page and people creating timeless things. Mm-hmm. I think Tool, a lot of Tool's music will be timeless as well. But the complexity, and I always say this, Paul. Sometimes I, I do really want you to speak to this, but the complexity of how he has to operate in that pocket of a band that's playing in all these different time signatures and, and polyrhythms and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's amazing. Number one, that anyone can even do that to me as a lay person, but number two, the tones and the things that he gets and the experimentals he gets, and he's an artist kind of through and through. So mm-hmm. um, I just, uh, and then, like I said, seeing him live finally for the first time not too long ago was just amazing. And that, the, that guitar was just full of, energy and it was all cut like you said with steve ray vaughn you know his, his hands were just like creating something on stage it was awesome very cool yeah um you know you're exactly right the the cycles and the rhythm the different polyrhythms and things like that that the band does um as a guitar player i do struggle with that a lot of times i improv in four four and then i just stick with it but uh-huh. there are times that i try to challenge myself and get out of that typical symmetrical meter and uh it's tough it really is and then once you get it going it becomes kind of umbilical and, and just in the back of your mind and then you can kind of roll with it but in in the initial phase of it when you're trying to get your fingers programmed to do it uh, you know it, it definitely can take a while at least for me but um, you know he's been doing this for so long that uh, you know it's certainly second nature probably yeah yeah Stevie uh, do you have anything to say about him or you want to keep on moving I don't have a lot of uh, information on him specifically but it, the whole band obviously including him, it sounds so clean. Like even like when you talk about live playing, I've noticed sometimes when you go to a concert, it, it, it sounds like a lot of noise or there's not a, a cleanness or a crispness to what's going on. Uh-huh. I always feel like when you listen to something with Tool, it is clean. It sounds not exactly like the album, but it's a good representation of what's going on in the album. Mm-hmm. And there's something that I really appreciated about that. Um, I think last week I spoke about that with Ghost. I felt the same thing, uh-huh. that live, it sounds like, I don't want to say it's rehearsed live, because, I mean, <laughs> I don't think bands sit around and rehearse live all the time, but um, yeah. it's it sounds like it's planned to be recorded. Um, and I don't uh-huh. know if that's the best way to say it, but I, I dig that clean vibe that you get, and it shows the uh, uh, the intention of the band, the, the dedication to the music, and I really like that. Yeah, there's there's certainly some mindsets with that. That um, being that I'm not a uh, professional musician on a full time level or anything like that, and uh, in the past when I've played with bands and have done recordings, a lot of times they're kind of depending on the musicians and their motivation. They just want to be able to capture it, get it to sound good, and then live they'll still play with it and make it, um, you know, kind of malleable. You know, they can just it'll be flexible and and they can make some changes live on the fly but you know right. when you have a band like tool when you have a band like rush people are sold on that precision and uh, they have to really you know deliver that true good point okay paul so number four or two however you want to say it yeah <laughs> so i'm going to jump the wall and uh get it back into the uh the metal side of things and i'm going to go with scott ian from anthrax yes. you know um <laughs> It's funny because, you know, he, he doesn't solo. Um, he plays 
power chords and riffs like no other. Uh, the reason I picked him is just he was one of my guitar heroes from from an early day. Uh, I remember in elementary school, a kid showed up with uh, a jean jacket. He wasn't in our school very long, but he had the, the jean jacket with an anthrax back patch. I'm like, who's that? And he's like, you need to check out anthrax, man. They're really awesome. And uh, <laughs> so I went and sought it out and found State of Euphoria. And I'm like, wow, this stuff's really fun. And um, just fell in love with them. Saw, you know, I've seen Anthrax live several times with Mundy, and mm. um, there's been many times when I've pushed to be sure to get up on, towards the stage to see them live, and I'm always on Scott Ian's side where he kind of dedicates his time most of the night. And um, the fact that you know he's in his 50s now and he can still mosh like he's in his 20s, mm. um, that's, oh. that says a lot to me. But you know, just the fact that he's jumping around, he's playing riffs, he just high energy, loves what he does, and you know, the music never gets old to him when they play some of the earlier stuff and they get into the breakdown riffs like Indians. There's a section where the riff builds up and they shout war dance and the crowd goes crazy. As a guy who doesn't like to get in the mosh pit, I get a little nervous and kind of tuck over to the side so I don't get a knee to the kidneys like I did before with one of their shows. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like he still delivers that to this day like he did when he was in his 20s. So he gets a, a really good nod on, on my part for that. That's great. Well, thank God Excellent. you were visited by the uh, angel of anthrax at some point. Yeah, <laughs> early in life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He flew off in the night. My job is done here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I have introduced Paul. Uh, so, have you ever um, ever thrown your underwear on stage, then, Paul? No, 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 certainly okay. not. But uh, what, <laughs> what's funny certainly. is uh, in in the mid '90s, it was um, I'd say it was like the second time. Well, second time I've seen him, probably third time for Monday, when John Bush was in the band, uh, mm -hmm. they toured with Cannibal Corpse, Life of Agony, and the Misfits. And uh, we nice. missed Life of Agony because the, the bus broke down. I was really disappointed. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but that's just part of the, the, the road, you know, that stuff happens. And um, mm -hmm. we, we caught, you know, Anthrax, of course. Cannibal Corpse blew me away just because, of course, I don't know if you've ever heard any other stuff, but the singer is just so low and guttural. His throat was completely red. Met him after the show and said hi. And I was like, what's your name? He's like, my name is George. And it was just because his throat is so trashed. I thought I was talking to Barney oh from God, the Simpsons. Oh, my God, yeah. Bear was the lead uh, was, singer. Crazy. What? Somebody's like, where are you from? He's like, I'm from Delaware. And it was like, wow, this is surreal. But Did he say waka waka? No, he did not, but he should have. All right. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we caught a few minutes of, of the Misfits, and it was definitely not the Danzig era of Misfits. Mm. Their sound was so muddy. It was it was a complete turnoff, and, and we left. And so we stood outside and saw a bus, and John Bush walks by. Frank Bello, Charlie Benante walked by. Scott comes out the door. There's like four of us, and we went and ransacked him and just said, hey, and they all signed our tickets. And, and the fact that, you know, after the show, he you could tell he was sore and exhausted, but he took five minutes to say hey and chat with us, and, you know, and he just won us over. You know, he's just a genuinely awesome uh -huh. guy. Cool. Great choice. That is a great choice. And I said these well, are going to be short answers. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we're, we're doing okay. We're all we're all weighing in about the same. I think so. Yeah, it's hard to hard to not expand. Right. I think we I think we should all outside of mine. I think we should all predict our final guitarists. Right. <laughs> I know yeah. yours for sure. <laughs> I, yeah, know. I think we it's know so yours. Um, dang it! I was. You know what? I I thought for sure, Paul, when you jumped over and you're going to metal, I thought you were going to say Dave Mustaine. You know, I I should put him in that list for sure because he's, he's definitely excellent. great. Um, it, we'll see what happens here. You, you got we got some time okay. still. All right. So we ready for the finals? We yes, are sir. our number ones. Here we go.
obviously, um, I, and this isn't even my favorite necessarily, but it, it did fall to number one. That's Alec, Alex Lifeson from Rush, of course. Drink. Um, yeah. <clears throat> drink up. And I thought it was one of the <laughs> but, California um, raisins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I did hear this through the grapevine. So <laughs> nice. there well played. Is that. Well played. <laughs> Um, okay, so what I find so interesting about Alex is uh, when, you, when you think of Rush, you really think of the drums. I think of Neil Peart, he, he wrote all the lyrics, you know. I mean, he is kind of the face of the band in many ways. And then, uh, you know, Getty gets the next nod, uh, being such an outstanding bassist, and he's the lead singer. Usually uh, the singer is the face of the band. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't know if you know, but Alex and Getty wrote all the music. Mm-hmm. So... Neil did not do that. I mean, he wrote the lyrics, and then he did the drumming, obviously, and added the fills and those kind of things, but he did, was not responsible for writing the music to their uh, songs. So I think Alex kind of gets looked over a lot of times for what he does for the band. Um, and then I, what I want to take you to is the song 2112, which is their 20-minute opus. It's probably my favorite song of theirs. Um, it is a take on Anne Rand's anthem, the story where... All choice is removed from society. Um, everybody is kind of the same, um, and nothing is new, nothing is interesting. And so they, they take this concept and they make this song. So the the priests of the Temple of Syrinx, I know it sounds interesting, mm-hmm. uh, are kind of dominating the society, right? And so you've got the this guy who finds this instrument, all right? And so when he finds the instrument, suddenly in the background you hear like water, like a creek, like he's out in the wilderness, so things are wild, there's no more structure. And he starts plucking away on this guitar, and it's random, obviously doesn't know what he's doing, and over the course of the next 30, 40 seconds, he starts to kind of get his groove. And then uh, as he does this, Alex builds this song and gets this cool rhythm going, and then the song becomes about the beauty of finding the guitar and what music can do for people. And then uh, he takes it to these priests of the temple um, to show them what this awesome new thing is. Well, they don't want that because they want sameness. They don't want this unique thing. And so it goes back and forth. You've got this kind of whimsical guitar and this beautiful story. And then when the, the priests come in and that vocal starts, then it gets heavy and hard. And then it goes back and forth. But it's just so clever and so well done. And this idea that he plays intentionally bad, turning to good, um, over the course of the song, or that piece of the song, um, is just amazing. It's just one indication of of how good Alex is. And then, um, obviously, after that, they stopped doing all of these crazy concept albums and went to more uh, standard fare. But his his guitar playing is brilliant, and uh, that song to me really captures just how good Alex Lifeson is. Yeah, right. and that great songwriting that's that's in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just that's like Steve mentioned. And, and I, I think that's another one that's timeless, too. So mm-hmm. good call, Stevie. Yes, Not sir. surprising. <laughs> I do love me some stories, and that's some storytelling through the guitar, oh, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. And I would say this. He's not the best guitarist ever. I'm not trying to say that. But he might be one of the most underrated guitarists ever, being overshadowed by the other members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, this was a tough challenge anyway, so I don't know that yes. any of us are landing on who the greatest guitar ever is <laughs> right so, and that's going to um, be an clearly jpp is the greatest guitarist of all time <laughs> yes i mean come on have you come heard on. data come on <laughs> yeah no guitar whatsoever <laughs> uh, all right anybody want to guess what my number one is i'm gonna say 
what was the guitar player from the Showbiz Pizza Band? Uh-huh. <laughs> Honestly, when when you told me earlier that it was not going to be anything Nine Inch Nails, I really thought it was going to be Tool. So I'm kind of I I don't know, and especially okay. with Gilmore out, no clue. Well, CC Deville. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Paul's face. <laughs> I wish we were broadcasting live. Oh, when it. that opening of Talk Dirty to Me happens, <laughs> um, every rose has its thorn. Oh, yeah, that's man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying he's bad either. I grew up on poison yeah. and hair bands. But um, <laughs> okay, so mine actually is somebody that we've kind of like mentioned here and there. But um, I went with Jimi Hendrix because. Sweet. I, yeah, it's, I mean, it seems like it's a. Seems like that's kind of a layup in some ways because there's probably a lot of lists out there that list him as the best guitarist. But I'm looking at it in the aspect of, um, of course, fantastic guitarist and probably technical when he needed to be. And then you have the playing with your mouth, you know. So he's mm-hmm. a showman. Um, his guitar playing skills were obviously amazing. His songs are good, but like Steve, when you were talking, like normally the singer is the the lead of the mm-hmm. band and everything. That the career that he carved out in his short time here. And the legend that he made for himself to just be Jimi Hendrix. I mean, he had people with him and things like that, but um, so many people were inspired by him and came from. And I think he was at a pivotal moment where, in that Woodstock time, that was bringing about a new sound. You know, mm. uh, certainly there had been electric guitar playing and things like that, but the all-encompassing artist, if you will, that knows when to just give into the moment and and let perfection take a backseat be a perfectionist when he needs to have a little bit of flair have a little bit of controversy all of the things that i would encompass as one of the greatest artists and he happens to be known for the guitar so Jimi hendrix is my number one man i love that thank you for mentioning him because he didn't make my list and it wasn't out of spite or anything of the sort it was just um prominent guitar players that had impacts for distinct reasons but uh-huh. he's he's one of them that, that did the same thing for me. Um, my bandmate Winston, still one of my best friends to this day, um, you know, when we play music, it, it never fails. Jimmy covers end up in the mix somehow. We end up riffing on on something <laughs> of Hendrix, and uh, you know, of course, I'm playing guitar, but I just kind of switched to just playing, you know, borderline bass parts and letting Winston go to town because that uh-huh. was just such a prominent influ- prominent influence for him too. Um, you know, Jimmy had a lot of crazy effect pedals that were innovative at the time. Um, you know, the, the, uh, kind of, uh, fuzz face and phasers and, and things of that sort, the wah pedal. And mm-hmm. that really spoke to, uh, accentuating the, the riffs and, and the leads. And then not to mention, you know, his, his story, you know, he got kind of a pawn shop guitar. He played it upside down, restrung it and that kind of, or, you, right. you know what I mean? So the fact that, you know, he just really had a desire and he overcame the odds and, you know, maximized it to the full potential and, and uh, gave it his all. It's, it's incredible. You know, that's that's part of the influence as a musician to me. It's it's not the, the technical aspect alone. It's the the drive and, and overcoming the, the objections from either the parents or the finances mm-hmm. to be able to get your first instrument. And then once you lay your fingers on that and then the magic starts to unfold, it's an experience that I can't even describe and to be honest with you, at my age now, 
I, I, you know, as I talk about it, I'm realizing, man, I kind of miss that. And uh, right. that spark is what really starts that drive. And as you get more experienced and then you start, you know, embellishing and adding more complicated things as you, you know, want to challenge yourself, you know, you still have to have a piece of that initial moment when you first got that instrument in your hands and you made it make a noise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, J- Jimmy is kind of that pinnacle uh, moment for me as, as a musician in itself. Yeah. And I think uh, I won't keep going on and on about it, but I think all those are excellent points and the fact that he did overcome and all of that stuff, but that, that rebellious in, in some ways rebellious, that I'm going to do what I'm going to do almost looking back now feels like, uh, the guy knew he had a short time here and he's just going to do what he's going to do. You know, I don't think that's the case. I'm just, I'm overlaying that, but I even feel that way about Tupac, you know, like just. Some people, I think, just have it in them to just go do what they are supposed to do, and and the world accepts or rejects it, and it's not going to matter either way to them. So, anyway, um, there you go. So, sweet. Well, well done. Thank you. He definitely hit my honorable mention. I just, yep. Uh-huh. I, I picked Stevie Ray just for a, you know different reason, but kind of the yeah. same similar feel, Tony. And I I don't know if you guys remembered, but at my wedding, when we did our first dance. We did play the Wind Cries, Marianne. So. Oh, nice. Where's my drum roll? I don't. Paul. <laughs> Dang it, Paul. I'll have to beatbox it. Uh, um, all right. Sorry. Paul, bring it to a my close. My turn. So it's not. So who, who do you guys think I'm going to choose? Not Kirk Hammett. I know that's not going to be the case, but I thought that originally. Um, oh, man. That's a tough one. And you said no, Satriani. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, Devin Townsend, Randy Rhodes. Oh man, those are all good choices. Good you were you were close with Hammett, but it was actually James Hetfield. Oh. Um, <laughs> nice. I. I, I tended to be more of a rhythm player by nature because um, well, at the time when I was in the band with Winston, he definitely was a solo machine. And um, in my own musical journey at the time, I was very discouraged by myself or I couldn't get it right. I called myself the lazy perfectionist. If I, if I, the lazy perfectionist, let me get that right. Mm. If I couldn't get it right the first time, I'd say forget it and move on. But, uh, you know, I, I grew past that. Um, but. I definitely loved playing rhythm parts. Riffs kind of drove the tune. Um, falling in love with Metallica, especially with Injustice for All, a lot of the riffs on that album were just money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just groove and getting the right hand to be articulate and very precise, things of that sort. Really, um, you know, James is who was kind of my mentor and, and one of my all-time heroes as a result. And one of the main things that still floors me about him, um, I can't do it is he can play these riffs. If you take Shortest Straw off of Injustice for All, he sings on top of it flawlessly. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the, he's got the, the guitar playing going, like his brain is doing two different things. He's patting himself on the head, rubbing his belly, chewing gum, and rolling on roller skates. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just, man, th- there's some things I can do that with, but, you know, when you get stuff with kind of crazy syncopated grooves, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he gets top nod for that. And you mentioned Dave Mustaine earlier. You know, right. he certainly is in that vein he can do the same thing and you know th- those thrash gu- those thrash guitarists in general just really had a lot of articulation and precision going on that uh you know it, it was certainly something i strive to achieve um so you know james has been always like i said he's always been a hero of mine mainly because you know the grooves were there he was one of the prominent songwriters in metallica and um 
you know, he just, he, he was just a badass on stage too, you know, just the way he kind of hunched over and he oh, had yeah. that white guitar and, you know, he, he just commanded attention. Yes. And, uh, you know, aside from the musical aspect of it, just, he really sold me on the fact that, you know, when he played his music, it had a statement visually too, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> this list was tough for me. I just went with my gut instincts on things that really stood out and, and really made the, the first initial impression. Um, you know, and the reason I picked the jazz guys again was just because of the fact that they experimented and branched out and tried different things. And, and there were things I were already interested in, like the electronic elements and stuff like that too. Right. So, um, you know, this, this conversation could go on and on for sure. Mm. Um, but you know, when it comes down to whittling down to five, this was probably the toughest challenge I've had to do. Yeah, oh my gosh, it was tough. But that is an excellent <laughs> choice. I mean, Metallica, again, another band that probably is going to just be timeless in their own right. Mm-hmm. And uh, James Hatfield, certainly everything you said about him and that presence on stage, I've seen him several times. And mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. That, that dude is uh, on it. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, Metalhead Monday posted uh, today talking about them and had basically 10 lineup shots of from each album and uh basically said you know look you can love them or hate them you know there's people that definitely criticize them but there's there's no denying that they've had a huge impact on on music oh for sure and still filling stadiums precisely yeah (laughs) guys that is 14 different guitars that's 15 possible slots well done that's awesome absolutely can we do a, a quick speed round of honorable mentions like one sentence about each one Certainly. I'm cool with that. Do you guys have honorable mentions as well? I do, I can sure. come up with some. That's certainly not a problem. Okay. <laughs> I'll run through my mind. I'll th- run through mine so that you guys can say if there's any overlap. Okay. Um, okay. So, and I'll just give the one sentence about him. Tom Morello. I feel like he yep. is going to be the Hendrix that the next generations are talking about. Um, B.B. Mm-hmm. King. He is B.B. King. That's all you got to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Devin Townsend. I think he's underrated. And I just recently was exposed to him. I think he's great. Joe Satriani. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another like guy that can just command with him and a guitar. Uh, Kirk Hammett, since we were just talking about Metallica. But um, mm-hmm. Master of Puppets sold me on electric guitar easily um and then robin fink of nine inch nails have to mention so one people can drink and two um uh, just seeing what he brings to the live version of nine inch nails is uh he's irreplaceable to me and those are my honorable mentions awesome okay mine would be um and tony you picked david gilmore but he was on my honorable mention list mm-hmm. um george harrison oh yes yeah. not necessarily love him as a guitarist but what he did in history definitely sits with me. Dave Mustaine, we mentioned, uh, Hammett. So that's point one, point two guitars for Metallica. So <laughs> there we got that covered. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimi Hendrix was my next go to behind Stevie Ray. Um, Zach Wild. And mm-hmm. uh, for me, it's more of Black Label Society than even what he did with Ozzy. Um, I love the, where he gets down to more of a kind of a bluesy feel with uh, Black Label. And that's where I really, where he stands out for me. And then um, Billy Corgan, uh, because yeah. uh, that's one of my favorite bands of all time. And uh, man, he had some cool hooks uh, yeah. on all those songs. <laughs> and uh, maybe not technically the best guitarist in the world, but definitely put together some great music on three straight albums, which are, uh, what a trio, that uh, Gish, Siamese Dream, and Melancholy were. I thought Jeff Buckley would make yours. Jeff Buckley doesn't play guitar. He's well, he does, but he's really known for his voice. Jeff Beck 
okay. is a killer guitarist. Um, yes. And Buckley plays a little bit of guitar, but man, his voice, his live performance, you ever watch Jeff Buckley? And yeah. f- don't yeah. watch Hallelujah anymore because people jumped on board with that one after he kind of took over that. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, yeah, his live performance, man, what a vocalist. But that'll be for next week. Hint, hint. Okay. All right, Paul. <laughs> Sweet. Well, you guys took up a lot of mine. Dave Mustaine, certainly in the, in the list for sure. Uh, Devin Townsend, very good nod there. Fantastic voice, too. That guy can do a nice melodic angelic voice and then just get... That's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, by the way, he's got one of the best samples. Um, okay, this was on dial-up internet. I heard the sample on his website, <laughs> okay. but uh, I, I wish I could find it. But basically, there was a, a segment. I don't know if it was from a recording or whatnot, but he, you hear this guitar start going, and he's like, I broke a string. I broke, I mean, I broke a string. <laughs> you know, so it, that's just the sense of humor he's got. I mean, that alone really sold me on, on him because he doesn't take himself seriously, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, other guitarists that uh, I definitely wanted to mention, I mean, Steve Vai, incredible. Uh, that's that's certainly one individual who has the guitar, at, it's umbilical, meaning it's attached to his body. It's like a part of him, you know. Yes. Um, he certainly uh, likes to figure out on stage before he goes live the best spots to stand so the guitar sings with feedback in certain ways so it's part of the melody um you know so he he's very calculated and very meticulous with his playing john petrucci from from dream theater certainly gets a nod for the technicality i'm not a huge dream theater fan these days just because i i just feel it feels too stiff to me anymore but you know those guys definitely are great musicians and they're they're technically precise and and they do a fantastic job. But I do like a little bit of raw and, and realness in, in the grand scheme of things too. Um, you know, again, I'm kind of going off the cuff because I didn't write down honor, honorable mentions. I wanted to kind of keep it you know lean and mean. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'm going to give uh, Misha Mansour from Periphery a nod too. I don't know if you've heard them or not. Um, a lot of uh, people call it gent style of metal djent yeah. real precise kind of crazy grooves things of that sort the drums are always thick and full and fantastic they're tuned low um definitely worth checking out the band is called periphery mm-hmm. um they're working on their fourth album and i saw some uh teasers on youtube with the drummer recording and, and going over some parts and stuff like that and they just they floor me every time they've got really good complex crazy meters and then they go into a driving four four groove that's kind of the payoff they they just really deliver cool our show notes are gonna be like an ebook oh yeah yeah <laughs> start reading yeah hey and i almost forgot one more from ghost it's ghoul <laughs> very oh, man. ghoul he was much very better good. than ghoul who was in the band before him <laughs> yeah, I was going to pick Ghoul, too. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I'm just going to lay down the gauntlet right now because uh, Bang. next week's challenge. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Yes. We're going yeah. to cut it back by one, but we're going to do our top four vocalist. Yes. Sweet. It was, and not because of what happened on the show tonight, which was really cool, but I had a lot of fun like thinking back at my favorite guitarist and going through all this old music, so I thought uh-huh. doing vocals would be really cool, too. So next week is going to be our top four vocalists. Yes. With honorable mentions. Okay. Sound Excellent. good? Yes. Challenge accepted, sir. Challenge accepted. Okay, so uh, on Friday, the full album for Muse came out. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And boy, the uh, the cover art was just awesome on this album. It, it really showed you what you were going to get. It was really cool. Um, who wants to start us off on the review? Uh, I'll start, because I think Paul Pryor has more to say than I do on this. 
Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Stevie, obviously, you're going to weigh in, too. But, um, yeah, I gave it... I'm just going to start with my number. I gave it uh, 3.9 out of 5, almost a 4. I love Muse, and I love the electronic style music. I love that they were thrown back to the 80s. There's a lot of stuff I loved about it. I'm a very harsh critic um, when it comes to rating things, so 3.9 is actually a pretty high rating. Um, but uh, I will say, like... Uh, I loved the. I loved how it opened. It caught me. There was no no time really that I felt super bored with anything, and I listened to it straight through a couple of times. Um, Propaganda is the one that really jumped out at me at first. Just how that that felt like they were going against uh, their own sound in some ways, and and mm-hmm. it, but it was such a good. It was just I put funky as hell with an edge. That was my note. Um, <laughs> uh, get up and fight. I really liked that. Some of the vocal styles kind of sounded like Imogen Heap mixed with. Uh, panic at the disco yeah totally over a muse track you know which is great Mm -hmm. um and what's funny is i really liked um dig down but i felt like it almost sounded exactly like madness in some ways Mm -hmm. and like they're trying to recapture one of their popular songs but then on the super deluxe edition they have an acoustic gospel version right and i wish they would have gone with that one for the album (laughs) um so you know i have notes about all of the other songs something human sound like a lion king-esque track done by muse which is awesome (laughs) yeah um so, but all in all, I mean, it was just there. Were, I was not disappointed at all, and would I listen to it again? Absolutely. Yes. All right, and I know uh, Paul's done some uh, some legwork on this, so I'm going to do my next, so he can dig in deep. Yep. Uh, I felt very similar to Teabags on a lot of this. Uh, first time through, I, I kind of got just kind of a good vibe from it, but I didn't. I wasn't loving it at that point. It kind of felt like a lot of the old uh, old songs, but then um, for me. Tony mentioned a propaganda. That's where it started for me, which was just a really good song. And then the next one, Break It To Me, that's super funky. Uh-huh. Um, I really dug that. And then it like switches gears with something human. And it was yeah. like oddly poppy in this really cool way. I don't typically love pop music, um, but this kind of had that vibe to it. And I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, you get this super thought-provoking song, Thought Contagion. Um, which I think has just a really great message. Um, but I can really hear that song being played in a huge arena. I mean, th- those four songs to me just sold the whole album. That little section right there was just killer. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, his voice is just fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. So I- I'm in. And uh, I would say probably even over a four for me. Uh, I'll wait mm-hmm. and hear what Paul says before I give my final. <laughs> okay. All right, folks, get get the drinks and uh, oh snap, you know, <laughs> get the sedative because I'm going to be talking a while. But we're definitely going to break over an hour today. Um, That's fine. <laughs> so yeah, this album um, it, it hit hit the at the right time. It hit the sweet spot for me. Um, in case you guys didn't know, the the art that you mentioned, which is beautiful, uh-huh. was done by Kyle Lambert, mm-hmm. who did the art for Stranger Things. Yeah. So, you know, if that plays into that whole theme, um, you guys have heard me mention it before. I don't talk about it enough on here because, you know, maybe Synthwave should be my drinking point because <laughs> I really would love to talk about that more often. Okay. Um, that's a lot of the what I'm doing these days, that 80s retro. You, you want to see Tron roll by as you're hearing the music type stuff so uh you know it's it, it's fun to write and create and it's it feels good um you can do guitar on it there's a lot of synthwave guys with saxophone on it that's bringing back that kind of 80s cop movie feel and 
And, uh, you know, <laughs> at the time I hated that sound, but nowadays it's really welcomed. But, right. uh, yeah. So anyway, off the synthwave digression, Muse really embraced synthwave a lot on this, which was, you know, for me. But, uh, you know, if I was a chef, that was the, the basil in, in the sauce. Right. Um, Algorithm was a great opener. Uh, the alternate reality ver- reality version was awesome mm-hmm. too. Yes. Um, it, I was one note I had on that was I loved the the darkness of the alternate reality reality version. If I can talk, geez. Um, but the vocal climax didn't hit as hard as it did in the original version. And I also put a note that for the first time in a long time, that's a song that gave me goosebumps. <laughs> and man, that was that felt great. Cool. So definitely uh, appreciated that. Uh, pressure was really cool. Um, the void was also great. Excellent bass lines. Propaganda also made my list here. Uh-huh. I, I wanted to write about every single tune, but I didn't want to take <laughs> yeah. up the whole show. But propaganda, the note I put on this, it was like Prince's Kiss meets Raids Against the Machine. Nice. I got because, the Kiss you know, influence it, as well. Yeah, you got a little, you know, kind of falsetto mm-hmm. and a little funk going on. And then the propaganda was, you know, uh-huh. that totally had a Tom Morello feel to that riff in the background. So, you know, that was really well played. A nice contrast that put together nicely. Um, the album overall, the thing about Muse is they compose nicely. Um, there's certainly classical elements to it. I hear a lot of Queen with the dynamics and yes. just kind of the theatrics of the music. Um, but you always hear something new, too. The synthwave in this one, there was some dubstep elements in uh, albums past and, you know, prog rock and just sounds in general that they love to experiment with. And, you know, if I'm not mistaken, they're a three-piece band. I don't know if they still tour as such, but, you know, they still have a, a good way of pulling it off with you know whatever extra technical bits too so um if you guys had a chance i don't know if you had a chance to see many of the videos but that was a really cool package as well i listened to the entire album plus the deluxe alternate reality versions i liked the marching band version of pressure too yeah. that was really cool that was um the uh, uh the videos certainly play on a lot of uh, retro themes too uh pressure had a bit of a ghostbusters feel meets critters with night of the living dead <laughs> and then um there was what well, i can't remember which i don't know if i wrote it down but uh there was a tune you know and terry cruz is in both of these videos but there's one <laughs> where he kind of breaks out of the grid and it's very tron like uh-huh. and uh he has to play a video game and there's a nod to max headroom in there too Ooh. just kind of the way that they're animated and moving around um you know it was just nice trip down memory lane in that regard but some of these videos have been out for a while and, and there was a rabbit hole i didn't have time to get into all of them but they all kind of created a story arc you know there's um these characters kind of come back and forth throughout each video and even their lyric videos are cool too it's just these nice retro graphics that are gritty and looks like it's playing on a vhs tape and you can kind of see and read the lyrics as as they're singing them and stuff too so um just well done and uh yeah are you ready for my rating five yes oh man it's a damn near perfect album i'll tell you that um i told my wife it's like dare i say it i was i gave it a 4.85 initially Uh and she said but you have to do in quarter increments i'm like no i don't this is my my rating i can do whatever i want with it and uh so after talking to her she said you know what fine 4.93 that's my my final rating on that (laughs) just because it was fantastic and it's like if you want me to do it in quarter increments, I'm going to almost round it up entirely. 4.93. Sold. Did you tell wow. her I gave a pie rating for one? 
<laughs> no, I need to for sure. And I'll tell you this too. You want to know, would I listen to it again? I would listen to it. I would buy it on CD and I would buy it on vinyl. Yes. Boom. Well, that has the JPP stamp of approval. Yes, sir. Easily. I knew you'd love it. Probably my album of the year. As soon as I heard it, I I had no doubt what that you were going to come in with a high rating on this one. And you, you, you had a good point. You said they're really good composers too. And mm-hmm. they find a way to just keep it nice and clean, but still feel like they're experimenting. I mean, they just, they write a lot of different lines and they do it so well. Um, I was, I was super mm. impressed with this album. Sweet. Yeah. Th- this is kind of like the second coming of trench for me. These are sounds that I don't typically listen to. Mm-hmm. And yet now I've really dug both albums in their entirety. Um, that's cool. So yeah, that's why I kind of love doing this is that we're, uh, reviewing albums that are out of my wheelhouse and um, I'm liking them. Yeah, It's funny you mentioned Trench as well because uh, Jumpsuit actually mm-hmm. popped on after one of the, the new Muse videos in, in the playlist. I had it going on in the background and and uh, I was like, wait, that sounds familiar. That's not Muse. And then I looked up, I'm like, oh yeah. So I let that run through <laughs> for a bit too and it was uh, a nice marriage of uh, of styles that just, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into this new stuff. I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah. And I thought you said Trent Reznor. I think it's a Trent. So that was all about By the, it. If anybody was totally. really playing the drinking game tonight, they would be hammered. There's they no would. way. Yes. They might be dead. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even pick Nine Inch Nails guitarist, and yet you still mentioned Nine Inch Nails guitarist. Which is just right. amazing. Right. Yes. <laughs> oh. Well, um, I think it's fair to say that what that Muse got uh got us all from different like you said, Steve, it's not no, normally something you would listen to or pick out. Um, I, I love that kind of stuff, but I also tend to go towards the harder edged side of the electronics and, uh, this is right in Paul's wheelhouse. So they, they somehow straddled the fence three times if that's possible. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too, is I've not really, uh, I mean, I've listened to Muse and I've really enjoyed them and, and really appreciated them, uh-huh. but, um, none of the releases in the past have hit me as hard as this one did. And, um, I just felt like it was a real solid effort. One other thing I forgot to point out, um, I did a look at the Wikipedia article. They didn't write a concept album with this, even though the videos kind of have a story to them. Uh, Each song was kind of written for the sake of writing a good song. Uh And um, they had some producers on there. Uh, Timbaland was producing on this album, as well as uh, a gentleman by the name of Shellback. And it looked like he did electronic and pop. And they also put in there that he does melodic death metal. So I'm going to have to huh. dig deeper and check that out. I'm not sure <laughs> what that entails, but, you know, I'm, I'm all ears. Right. So, you know, definitely worth noting on this album, too. They've, they've got a really uh, diverse production team going with them. It's cool. interesting that you said it was not thematic. I would have thought that this felt like a thematic album. It did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, given the style, it, it certainly allows it to be somewhat thematic. But as far as mm-hmm. probably the subject and the content and all that kind of thing was uh, on the lyric, lyrical aspect was um, more just kind of serving the song. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting, too, is I after I reviewed it, I went and looked just to see what some of the major places were, how they were reviewing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some low scores in there. Just simply like people like throwing them under the bus for saying it sounds like a Ready Player One soundtrack or uh, whatever. It you know it's like they had to find a way to make it be something. I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Other than it is what they intended. I think the band it, the band intended it to be what it is all the way through with the artwork being a Stranger Things person 
and um, mm-hmm. and it, I don't know how I don't know how anyone and I'm critical. I'm super critical. I don't know how you wouldn't say that this is good music. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I can see if you said oh they're trying to be someone else or they're trying to do something, but so what if it's great music and it makes a soundtrack that you could throw over the top of ready player one so what right no this was a genuine attempt you know from them yeah and uh you know i could definitely tell from the standpoint that each song was produced with care you know what i mean yeah um where you get into some of some styles with more simplistic arrangements and things like that there's uh, you know this is a whole rabbit hole for another time but (laughs) basically you know when when you have people that try to emulate each other i mean you can definitely tell because it's they follow formula that their favorite band did you know be it the pop punk or Uh you know that kind of thing that's kind of a prime example everybody sounds very similar and uh you know there's there's not much embellishment or uh room to make it stand out and be your own True. where muse definitely puts in the time yeah agreed hey, hey uh teabags yes did, did you read ready player one i did i hated it i read it you know what was in there what that did not make the movie nine channels rush 2112 oh i was gonna say oh man yes <laughs> and then oh. in the in the promo they put in tom sawyer it was like what why would uh, you why would you flip bob <laughs> I don't know. I had high hopes for. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't review that. But uh, the, the funny thing is, I read that book. I was so sold on like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome just by reading the synopsis. Because they and had all the these fr- all these nods to our eighties stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, I'm going to go back through my childhood here, and uh, and uh, anyway, it was it was the first book that I had read in like two years because I hadn't had time and I'd been working so much, and we went to New Orleans for a vacation, and I read it, and I was just like insulted kind of by it it just felt like it felt like it was written for the younger generation who had no point of reference for the for the stuff Mm -hmm. that we went through um so i just felt like it should have been more like on the adult side of things and we would enjoy it more clearly steven spielberg picked it up and did it as a movie and the book sold millions so what am i who am i to say (laughs) anything (laughs) but they should not have taken rush out of there thanks buddy you're welcome. <laughs> I appreciate your support. Awesome. All right. Well, normally at this point in the show, we do our new challenge, but we've already done that. So that Gosh. brings us to, I know, it's so sad. We're, we're mm-hmm. coming to a close shortly, but we need to know what everybody's listening to this week. So uh, JPP, other than Muse, 100 times over, what are we listening mm-hmm. to this week? Lots and lots of Muse. Yeah, man, I, uh, I, I stuck pretty close to that. It got me <clears throat> fired up for some synthwave. Um, there's a group called Magic Sword that I was listening to. Um, the album title escapes me. Gosh, I'm terrible about that. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> they had a song that was on um, the trailer for Thor Ragnarok. Mm. Um, if you remember seeing the one that had this kind of a synth intro to it, that's them. And it definitely played into, especially the scene when uh, they did the flashback with Hela fighting against the guards and it was the slow motion kind of going through space. Um, that tied into that imagery real well. So I gave Magic Sword a good listen. Um, fantastic stuff. It, it definitely has kind of a, a 70s synth vibe to it. You definitely hear um, you know, some sci-fi going on in, in your head while you're listening to it. So so if you guys get a chance, check out Magic Sword. I'll put links in the show notes. Fantastic. Teabags. Um, okay, so I I have a few here, but I'll make it quick. Uh, I'm listening to a song called White Dove by Coda, 
which I sent to you, Stevie. Excellent. Um, yeah, it was a good find. Uh, after last week's challenge, I kind of went on that same path and tried to just find some new stuff. But um, I found Sad and Bored by uh, Bulu and or Bulo and Duckworth. Uh, I'll put a link there. It's a good song. Um, the Box by Damien Rice, which is a classic favorite of mine that made his last album. Um, kind of got into some remixes too i've been listening to a lot of stuff this week uh meet your master by nine inch nails remixed by the faint which is an incredible electronic experience um and then i sent you guys links um to another podcast called song exploder um i found it on Castbox, and they basically take an artist and interview them and they break down one of their songs and they they do all kinds of like cool stuff telling you how they made the sounds or what the muse was for it and um, and then at the end they play the song in its entirety. So you get to listen to it again, kind of reframed for you as how the artist build it up to be that. So, um, that I listened to it because they also had nine inch nails on there. Um, <laughs> but then it made me start listening to a song called Daybreaks by Nora Jones. Mm. They interviewed her and, um, and that's a really good episode to listen to. It's only like 15, 17 minutes or something like that. But, um, and, and then the song is excellent. So I'd never heard it. Love Nora Jones, but it was really cool to, uh, hear how that song was made. So that's my list. Very cool. Nice. Nice list. Foggy. I listened to crap. <laughs> to be honest with <laughs> you guys, outside of Muse, uh-huh. um, gosh, I didn't listen to a whole lot this week, and I'm going to be uh, going to be honest here. Why? It's a tough week to be a Blackhawk fan. Oh. <laughs> they fired our our three time Stanley Cup champion coach, who, uh, uh-huh. Joel Quinville. Uh, scapegoated him this week the uh general manager who did not put the team together inherited the team um Uh i think honestly can the coach uh so that he could put a new young coach in and then ride out another year or two because it's not my fault i have a young coach kind of situation so i listened to some podcasts about uh the firing of joel quinville um so that took up a lot of my time outside of uh you know, school and going to games and that kind of stuff. So I didn't listen to anything else. Um, I did listen to one new release from the Smashing Pumpkins album that's coming out next week. I'm not going to talk about that here because that is a review album for next week, folks. Next Friday, uh, Smashing Pumpkins' eight-song LP will be released, um, and we will talk about that next Sunday. Cool. So... Sweet. Yeah, I I hope so. <laughs> I, I'm I'm happy with the song so far. I'm not like elated, but uh-huh. I am happy with them. So cool. There, there's that. And if you guys, um, if you guys want to listen to speaking of remixes, Tony, on YouTube, there's a channel called The Reflex, uh-huh. and highly suggested to anyone out there. Um, we found this. My wife and I actually were listening on a rainy day. We had it going on YouTube on the TV in the background. And we're talking classics like Wham, Everything She Wants, huh. um, Katie Tunstall's in there, The Doors. Uh-huh. Um, there's you know all sorts of just crazy cool um, various you know classic music and and uh, it's all done very tastefully. There's some go- cool grooves. I think some hollow notes are even in there. Some Ohio players and stuff like that. Uh, the graphic is cool. It's always like the artist face with a pair of headphones uh-huh. and uh, it kind of bounces into the screen and stuff, but uh, it's just fun to listen to. Definitely check it out. The, the, uh, again, the YouTube channel is just called the re, uh, the reflex. Is that at uh, the reflect flex 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 flex.com? 
Uh, n- no, no, that that would be a lot of proper proper propaganda. Snap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, that wraps up this episode of Five Guitarists. And uh, next week, we'll be looking at our top four vocalists. We'll be reviewing the new Smashing Pumpkins LP and uh, what other shenanigans come up. Thank you for listening this week. We will see you next week with episode 12. Bye now. Fellow Wool Gatherers, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Now it's time to get social. Add us on Instagram at Wanderings and Wool Gathering. If you're on Facebook, you can find our page also at Wanderings and Wool Gathering. If you're on iTunes, please feel free to drop us a review. We'd love to know how we're doing. And if you follow us on social, please comment and add to the community. We would love to know your thoughts on the challenges and music we share. There's lots of music out there, and we'd love to talk about it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.